Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. If you're anything like me, when you hear this music, the first thing you think of is not ACDC. Technology, it's everywhere. iPhones, tablets. Here in New York City, we've even replaced our old phone booths with giant screens. And I'll admit it's a lot harder to take a dump in them. But I usually figure it out. (laughs) The point is, no matter where you look, there's a screen. And I think it's great. You know, when I was a kid, all we had to stare at was that thing on my Uncle Harry's neck. It was mesmerizing. But surprise, surprise, the thing we like most is as bad for kids as a weekend at Jeffrey Epstein's. This is The Last Laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast, and that was the one and only Louis Black delivering one of his many Back in Black segments on The Daily Show. 2023 is Lewis's 27th year as a contributor on that show. He started way back in the 90s when Craig Kilborn was still hosting, was there all through Jon Stewart's run and Trevor Noah's before that host stepped down last December. So when Comedy Central started talking about the plan to bring on a series of guest hosts, Lewis may have seemed like an obvious choice. As he reveals to me in his second appearance on this podcast, however, his phone wasn't exactly ringing off the hook at first. But now... He is finally set to serve as host of The Daily Show for the week of June 20th. It's a major full circle moment for the comedian as he approaches 75 years of age and is starting to seriously consider hanging it up for good. And it just so happens that today, May 2nd, Lewis is also releasing his latest stand-up special, this one titled Tragically I Need You, for free on YouTube. It's always an absolute pleasure talking with Lewis, even if our conversation began with some signature complaining. Here's me with Lewis Black. So, yeah, I mean, I asked you before we started recording, but I'll ask you again, you know, how's it going? Oh, it's just spectacular. Life is uh, life is a joy. Uh, every day we come closer to uh, what we were all hoping for. <laughs> Everyone. Utopia. Yeah, all of our wishes, our dreams, that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow exists for everyone, we finally realized that, and uh, we're going <laughs> to all be able to reach into it at some point. It's just a matter of travel plans, and um, <laughs> it's just unbelievable that we continue to act as if that the pandemic occurred and we're not going to deal with that. Now it's gone. Don't worry about it. Didn't create any problems whatsoever. Nothing. People, we've got a leadership that acts as if that pandemic had it did nothing to their mental health. Well, that's bullshit. Okay, that is just, it's really unbelievable. It affected everybody in one fashion or another, and I had never experienced certain things in my life, like the depression and anxiety. And uh, Until the pandemic? 
not not on the levels that I'd watch people and people had talked about. Nah, I was very lucky. I want to talk about your new special. Um, it's called Tragically I Need You. And it really, it opens with a montage about how you spent the COVID lockdown. And, and a lot of the special is about that. And it did occur to me that it feels like, I, I wondered if you ever feel like you're the only one still thinking and talking about COVID in this way, because sometimes it feels like uh, nobody else is thinking about it. Part of my brain is still stuck in COVIDville, and part of my brain is out of it. So you, I find myself, because I have um, a uh, underlying condition, and I am, I'd never considered myself old until the pandemic, and then I was told I was old. Because of that, you know, I feel like in certain times I should be wearing a mask, but I don't. Sometimes I do. Sometimes it's like nobody's where, you know, you go back, you go, oh, yeah, no, we're, we're, we're moving along. It can be hard to be the only person doing it sometimes. It is, but I, I do it and you see others kind of doing it. And I get why some don't and uh, it makes sense. And they, they, I'm lucky enough I didn't get it. You know, I get why they're not. The reason I did the, uh, the special the way I did it about the pandemic and COVID was because I, when I st- went back out on the road, that's what I had to talk about. Yeah, you just felt like it was it was what well, was on your mind. You wanted to to get it out. I wanted it, but also it's like I start from when I go back out on when I whenever I go back, like I'm now I'm on the road and it's finding a new special. So I I throw shit against the wall and see what sticks. You know that uh, profoundly. Uh, you know what? There's a really intelligent way to talk about your work. <laughs> And so that was what happened with, I just, I didn't expect to talk about that, but then people responded to it because it seemed to be a common denominator with me and my audience and because nobody else seemed to be talking about it. I mean, that I knew of. It felt like coming to you was almost a, a way to, you know, have that, that cathartic moment of, of yeah, getting getting together with people who also care about this thing um, that, that maybe other people have had given up on. Yeah, I mean, when I started doing it, people had already stopped. You know, um, there were part of people in the audience who were wearing masks, I think, in part weren't. And uh, or if they and if they were both and if they were told to wear a mask, there's part of the audience that I know was irritated about it. Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering if you ever had people coming to your shows who were either, you know, anti-vaxxers or Fauci haters or people who, you know, would, would show up and, and give you a hard time about it. There was a, there were flashes of that. There, it's it, it's um, that would happen along the way. Any moments that stand out in your in your memory that it's just the kind of the <laughs> which is what I hear it as <laughs> the whining, complaining. I mentioned some of the room, you know, and if somebody one side would start to applaud. I'm like, no, don't, don't. Once we do this, then the ball game is now. We're just going to sit here. And people are going to respond to that, which they would. And uh, they would be irritated that people were, you know, for masks. It's like beyond belief. Who cares? And certain places like Florida, you just go, you know, there'd be this kind of, you'd say, you know, well, you know, it's, it's great to be here because apparently you guys didn't have a pandemic. And a third, <laughs> and the third of the audience go, part of it with me is, is that I got an, part of my audience from time to time will poke me as if they will take the other side just to rile my ass up. They like to provoke you. Yes. But there was through it. It's really why the, um, what I talk about in the, at the very beginning of my, the new special, the tragically, uh, I need you. That special is because I talk about the fact that people show up as if they never looked at anything I've ever done. <laughs> anything. And, uh, I, I mean, there was someone in the audience 
after I did that show, I believe it was in the, if I'm remembering correctly, in the, uh, who said that uh, sitting as the lights are coming down in the theater in Dayton, Ohio, turns to somebody who knows my work and goes, oh, I hope he doesn't swear. <laughs> and you just go, wow, you didn't. You didn't do your research. You know, and I say to them, you know, I'm going to irritate you. I love that, what you say at the top, where you kind of, you set up the expectation that the audience is not going to hear your jokes in the way that they're intended or the way that they even, you know, are saying, you know, I'm going to be telling jokes, but you're going to be feeling insulted, essentially. Yeah, you're going to be, you know, and I've gotten to the point now where I say that it, some of them reacted in the, it, it just kind of dawned on me that they were reacting as if I had a knife in my hand and was going to come <laughs> into the audience after I said the joke and come up to them and rip open their chest and eat their heart. <laughs> I mean, some of the reactions are so over the top, you just hear kind of shouting. I mean, it wasn't overwhelming, but you could feel it. I mean, when I did the special, people afterwards who were great. I mean, you've got to, you know, admire the audience that really uh, does kind of give you your space. They did have reactions. I was on Long Island. Long Island, there's some folks out there who just, they've got their opinions about things, and by God, you know, most of the time they'll let you know. But this time they were, you know, they knew I was doing a special and they didn't, there was no shit about, you know, what I was doing until, you know, afterwards I heard that people were, were in the people who I knew in the audience heard them, some of the folks complaining. Do you feel like that's a, a new phenomenon in some way? Has it increased over the years that you've been doing this, that people get, feel personally offended somehow by what are just jokes? Yeah. I mean, it started with, part of it started with uh, PC in college. You know, they talk now about, you know, some of the guys doing school colleges because of partly out of PC, partly out of woke, the politically correct stuff. So that was coming in colleges. But I'm always, it's like I was always kind of prepared. I knew I'm going to say something and they're going to get fetch about it, you know. They're going to get irritated. They're going to hear me, oh. And you kind of go, listen, you Here's where the joke was. That was the, the key to the joke. The joke wasn't about what you think it's about. You stop listening because you hear a word. And this is when we could have got them. They all, a bunch of them gathered down in Dealey Plaza. That was where they killed um, President Kennedy. And they said that, um, uh, that they believed that um, John F. Kennedy Jr. was going to come back now, I don't think when somebody comes back from the dead, they go to the place where their father's killed. So I called him up to see. And he said, no, I'm not coming back. I've got, I'm coming in three weeks. That's when my flying lesson is. That's worth the whole evening. <laughs> that that's what upsets you. And it's good you have empathy. We don't have empathy for live people, but fucking dead people, we're right on it. I feel like you you kind of thrive in those moments too, where you get to react to the, the groans or the uh, people being upset. You kind of are able to latch onto that and, and enjoy it in some ways, it seems. Well, I do. I mean, because it's really, come on, guys. You know, it's a bunch of adults in the room. What was the, the recent thing? Uh, you know, it's, it, it, 
They were all worried about all sorts of things, you know, the, the Budweiser can with the... Right, uh, yes, the, uh, the, they, the Bud, the, Bud Light, the transgender... Uh, the transgender yeah. model or the, yeah. the, the, mm-hmm. the the influencer. Yes, yes. You know, that that they don't, you know, they don't worry about just, you know, that the transgender thing that gets psychotic. The influencing thing doesn't disturb them. <laughs> you know, somebody just, they pick out of nowhere, all of a sudden this person is an influencer. I don't know how this happens. I still don't know how it fucking happens. Yeah, but, neither do but I. What, but what was amazing was that uh, my friend Kathleen Maddie, I had not even paid attention. I had not seen it. I don't pay a lot of attention to what goes on in social media. Uh, I've got other things to do. Uh, I try to have a, a life. But you really got to wonder about the, you know, it's these these folks who, uh, who, uh, who get so... Uh, upset by this thing because it, it, I did not see it. I didn't yeah, see the, it. But the Bud Light thing. Yeah. yeah I think most people who were upset that, about it never saw it in the first place. They never would have seen it. They just heard about it and made, they got upset. That's, and that to me is the key to a lot of what's happening uh, because it opened up a Pandora's box of, of, of nonsense that wasn't there. They, they, they never would have heard about it. They it didn't affect them in any way. Not, not in the least. You know, and then all of a sudden, it's people going, oh, this is horrible. Look at this. It's horrible. Look at this. It's horrible. See how horrible this is? It's like, uh, well, I, did, I wasn't looking for it, okay? And it's not horrible. Now you're going to engage me in an argument about whether it's horrible? Who cares? I just don't like Bud Light. That's something you could watch. Where's that discussion? Yeah, well, I think now everyone kind of is on that page. The conservatives are mad at Bud Light. The liberals are mad at Bud Light for, you know, capitulating to the conservatives. So... They kind of, it's a lose-lose on their end. Yeah, no, and it was in, they uh, let her go, I think, or they suspended her, they, she had to take yeah, two they, weeks they off. Yeah, they fired some executives, and yeah, they... Yeah, well, they cost them some real money. I mean, it was like, also, what, if you're doing this, okay, it's just a marketing thing. If you're going to do this, you start, you know, gradually, work with us on this. You know, we're trying to get people, you can't just, you know, you're, in, you're dropping bombs on them, as far as they're concerned. And then they're turning around and going, oh, look at the damage this did to the neighborhood. And you're looking around and going, I wouldn't have known. And uh, I don't see, you know, potholes. I see potholes. Those were not caused by the uh, the transgender influencer on Bud Light. Okay. <laughs> Those are real potholes. Well, this certainly feels like something that when you are guest hosting The Daily Show, you might want to talk about this type of thing that's in the news. I guess you'll have to pay a little bit more attention to what's happening in the news that week. Yes. <laughs> Well, I was excited that they uh, they asked you to to be a guest host for a week. Um, did well, it, did it take did it take a while to get that ask? I know you, you sort of weren't in the first round of people, but now you're in this uh, this next round. What what was your reaction to that? Now, I was well. To be honest, when they first started going, we're going to have guest hosts. We're going to get these. Uh, you know, we're going to get a bunch of people. And I was I literally just said, I want to be on. Can I? sit in that chair once. I've been on the show 27 years. Longer than anybody else. Longer could I please sit in the chair. And I set it out immediately as soon as I knew he was leaving. And uh, they started talking about they were going to do, um, they were going to have these guest hosts. And I started looking and, and I was pretty pissed at that. Yeah. That you weren't, that you weren't on that list at the beginning. None of us were. Yeah. The correspondents. None of us. And the, yeah. None of the correspondents. And I just thought, come on guys, throw a bone. We are kind of, and, and it really undermines, too, something that I've felt about this show for years, which is, is that it undermines the importance of the writers on that show. 
So it's not just who's sitting in that seat. It's the person, who, the guys, in the, the women in the back who were pumping out all sorts of stuff it, on a daily basis. Yeah, I've wondered what it's been like for the people behind the scenes to have these new guest hosts coming in every week. It must be challenging in a lot of ways. Well, it, well you know, I kind of, I asked that when they, uh, they got in touch. I finally saw, I saw a couple of the writers just the other day on the streets of New York and uh, I talked to Jen Plans, who was the, exec producer about about it when they were talking to me about what they'd need from me you know they send me an email and that questions like who who do you want to host this and all that and I said gee this must have been and that was the other thing it was going you're starting with with all of these guest hosts why would you make it that rough on yourself but they they quickly found a groove I think it has worked out pretty well I mean it seems like people are, are into it and they got you know obviously they started with some big names and that was probably part of the the plan but yeah it's been great seeing the the correspondence in there as well Roy Wood Jr. and Jordan Klepper and all these guys now that they've opened it up but I was I have to say I was like come on why every single time just you do it out of etiquette okay and you've got people who who've been watching the show forever and uh, and who are, you know, attached to the show and, and know all of the, the all of the correspondence and are not, it would have been interesting to see what would happen. I'm interested to see what the numbers are, you know, because we'll, we'll have to see what those are for, I, th I thought Roy did a terrific job, Jordan did a terrific job. They're, they're all going to be really good. I'm not going to be good, but they're going to be terrific. <laughs> that's a, that's not true. Uh, it was. I just talked. I just had uh, Samantha B on the podcast recently, and I was pretty surprised to learn from her that she didn't get a call to come be one of these guest hosts. No, nobody reached out to her. Yeah, which is I don't get. It's crazy. They reached out to Hassan. He's a yeah. The, he's a pa similar past correspondent. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm not disparaging you having these guys, these folks on hosting. I think it's great. I just thought they should have started with us and opened that door, but it's. Uh, it's fine. I'm thrilled to be able to do it. Yeah, it's it's exciting that you're going to be able to do it, and and yeah, to to sit in that in that main chair for the first time after being on the show for, as you said, you know, nearly three decades. How do you approach that? How do you feel like you're going to do it? Well, I wish I knew. I part of it is is um, I know that the approach is based on the audience. I mean, that my approach to anything is based on being in front of an audience, and so there's a comfort level I have there. So I feel comfortable with that in terms of being able to, if I get the laugh, uh, I great. If I don't get the laugh, I know how to get the laugh. I've been doing this way too long. And so um, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to the writers know how to write in my voice. Uh, you know, people go, boy, do you write your stuff for The Daily Show? And it was no. I didn't. No, I remember talking to you about that, that you really, you don't, you don't even choose the topics for the back in black segments. They took it from me early on. And so, <laughs> and it was because of a, a couple of producers on the show didn't feel like I belonged and they didn't feel I was funny and they didn't get the idea. They wanted a punchline rather than attitude. But part of what has been my um, bread and butter as a comic is my attitude. That's the attitude gets the laugh. If I'm snorting, you idiot, that's the punchline. If I go, blah, 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 that's the punchline, please. So, I mean, I've literally, uh, it, it, it reached the point one day where um, one of the guys, one of the, uh, one of the guys who've been working with me a lot on the writing of the stuff gave them, I did something on, there was a thing on Valentine's Day. It was a bit that I did. I did it for, I've done that bit for 10, 15, 20 years. And so he had watched me do the bit 
and it was a Valentine's Day thing. And so he had said to them, there was a line that I had and that we were going to do like the second line of the thing. And it was a line that killed. And so he told them it was, uh, this is a line that kills. And they went, well, these two producers went, well, we, we'll come up with something that's funnier. As I've uh, grown older, um, uh, each year I've dropped holidays from my calendar that I don't think apply anymore. <laughs> and this year I'm proud to say that I dropped Valentine's Day. Yeah. Now, let's get it, clear things up. I'm not saying we shouldn't uh, have a holiday of love. Just that in fucking February! And it's like, okay, I mean, I've been out there. It's in, yeah, I mean, at a certain point, that's insulting to, you know, it's, it's, your, it's your piece, it's your thing, and they're, they're, you know, they're not trusting you. My initial reaction always has been confrontational when it comes to the workspace, and I'm always kind of like, I'm not going to take this shit. <laughs> And I would walk away, and I thought, I can't walk away. What am I thinking? I'm not going to walk away from this. What am I going to do? I've got less work to do. You want to write it? Go ahead. Okay? Now I'm going to... And what I had to do part of the time was uh, get what they were giving me and put it in my own voice. So it was like an acting gig. So I took it as acting. You're going to write something. <laughs> you changed... Yeah. It's not stand-up anymore. It's acting. It's acting. And and then it kind of came around, and then now, all of them know my voice, so it's never a problem, and uh, and I love the way they're right. Yeah. So that that attitude makes you feel better about going in as the host, and and yeah, being because able to do I, this. I mean, yeah, because I have an amazing trust in what they'll write, and I will throw in my two cents here and there, and um, they will know how to use. You know, and I'll have to say, no, we're not going to say that I'm old for the 36th time. That's the kind of thing <laughs> we'll do. Uh, but mostly it'll be, uh, you know, um, really, I think, you know, I was talking to him on, when I was talking to him on the street, this will be fun. I mean, we've known each other forever. And, um, and I think we'll, we'll, I, I really do think one of the things for me is, is that it, it that of being on the being in that chair is being able to give them their due because I don't think they get it. So now, you, now you'll be doing the the full show and you'll be able to do a lot more than the sort of angry back and black thing that you've been doing for so long. So I think that'll be really fascinating to see too the, how you can show maybe some different sides of yourself um, in the interview in these different segments uh, than than what we're used to seeing from you. Yeah, the interview thing I've got that's the one I've got to figure out. Uh, yeah. Does that make you? Uh, does that does that make you nervous, or you're just excited to see who you want to you want to talk to? I really kind of um, don't know. I mean, immediately uh, I was I, it was kind of like, God damn, who the hell do I get on? You know? Yeah. Ooh, maybe you could, if you could get Fauci, that would be really something. I think I would yeah. love to see you interview him. Yeah. No, I would. Uh, you know, that's I don't know if I could get him. Uh, but I, I'd love to know. That would be a, that would be a good one, I think, if it could, if you could, could make that happen. Yeah, I asked for uh, a, one of the first ones. I asked for is Jimmy Raskin. Mm -hmm. um, oh, that and, would be great. Uh, yeah, he's. But I wanted to talk to him about um, how he survived, uh, how he's able to continue the kind of level of work that he does. You know, after his son's suicide and after. And he has cancer. And I know. He's gone wake, through it all. Yeah, He's gone through it all. And I wake up in the morning and look at what's going on and go, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to go back to bed. And he's <laughs> going, 
he's marching down there and uh, and 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 still, uh, you know, putting in the time, the effort, the energy, and the belief. I mean, it, it takes a lot in the midst of all of that to 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 maintain your belief uh, when you're being whack like that. I mean, I've had um, pneumonia, and uh, that alone was enough for me to, you know, if if somebody came in and said we're going to. Uh, you know, all of the things that are happening are that are really shitty are going to remain in place. But in, and in exchange, we'll get rid of your pneumonia. I'd go get rid of my pneumonia. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, it's not bad. So, I mean, I, how people are able to, you know, someone like him was able to do this. I, I don't know if he wants to talk about it either. I mean, I don't know if that's something he wants to share. Because that, to me, is kind of the, the lesson. Not the politics of it. It's the humanity of it that I want to talk about. Because, I mean, really a lot of what I I always kind of want to get to is not the personas, but the the kind of insanity that some of them, what's the nonsense? Not the, the person politically, not the politics, but how the politics affects us. Coming up, Lewis weighs in on Fox News firing Tucker Carlson and later gets surprisingly emotional about his own legacy in the comedy world. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. If you're enjoying this episode and want to hear more, please make sure you are following The Last Laugh wherever you get your podcasts. By subscribing to The Last Laugh, you can listen to our previous episode with Lewis Black, as well as recent conversations I've had with some of the other Daily Show guest hosts like Roy Wood Jr., Jordan Klepper, and more, along with everything else from our free archive. And you'll be the first to hear new episodes when they drop every Tuesday. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know how much you love the show and who you want to hear next. Now, back to Lewis Black. People expect this sort of explosion of anger every time they see you. I'm sure that's true for the people who come to your your live uh, shows. And and but there is, you know, we do see some other sides of you even within this special. Do you ever do you ever feel like it's it's hard to? Is it ever hard to get that worked up and sort of give the people what they want or what they expect? No, it was interesting. That <laughs> it's not hard to get it uh, worked up, and but it's doing it to you know you're doing you know you basically oh they really want this I'm going to do this okay it isn't hard though because it just it, something is going to get me you know crazy during you know I'm going to stumble on even and and it's not I'm not conscious of it I just find myself talking about something. 
and then I call it like kind of going down the cul-de-sac. That'll trigger something that I haven't talked about. And if I haven't talked about it, it's usually something I'm really, that I'll be talking about. And it, that's generated by the anger I feel. That's generally where my humor comes from. So I go down that cul-de-sac and start bellowing. So it's never tough. I cannot remember the, which special it was, but uh, like two specials ago, I made the uh, effort to do to yell less, and I wasn't going to yell as much, and basically to try to find another way at anger. Was that thanks for risking your life, that one? No, no, no. It was two before, so oh, okay. it was, uh, I can't even think, of, I'd have to call you back with which one. The, <laughs> but uh, it was a sort of, uh, yeah, it was a different, slightly different approach. Yeah, I was really, I mean, I made the conscious approach that I would find the anger through language. So I wasn't going to be up there bellowing like a loon. I wanted to find more... I hate to use this word, but we use it colors in my, uh, that's what we always say if you're acting. I've, uh, have you seen all the colors? Yeah. <laughs> um, I, 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 I can do it sad, um, but I, I kind of like wanted to play with the notes that I, that I have. And because uh, I knew that, I knew the big barking dog note, you know, the kind of like, rah, 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 you know, I can get angry. That's easy. <laughs> but I wanted to find other ways to get to that anger. Uh, through language and some of the stuff that I thought I said in the special was nastier than if I had um, just kind of yelled about it and I and I was and then people afterwards like immediately oh you know he's he's getting old and so he really is he he's worn out and I'm like you fucking didn't listen you didn't let you've never listened to anything I've done you fuck so yeah, I remember the first time you were on this podcast was was after that special had come out. It was also um it was October 2020. It was just after the first Trump Biden debate. Um and uh, it was kind of this very perilous moment for the for the country. We've we've come a long way in some ways since then, but um yeah, I'm wondering you said you know you don't pay too much attention to what's happening on your phone, but have you been paying attention to the the Trump indictment and all of the the developments oh, yeah. there? Are you yeah, surprised I mean, I, that I follow I... the news? I mean, I get, you know, I, I, I'm the only person who still gets a, you know, I'm one of six people in, in New York who gets the, the, the <laughs> New York Times in its paper. The paper, yeah, yeah. You know, um, because I'm just, I know where to turn. It's like, and I, I like it that way. Uh, and there, and it's just it, it's something comforting about it. And, and I want to keep them going because uh, even as shitty as they can be, and they a bit shitty, uh, <laughs> as shitty as they can be, they still require, uh, when somebody comes into their office and wants a job, they require someone to have a resume. Right. Yeah. They have some standards. Yeah, they do have standards. And, and there are a lot of people worth reading and they do a lot of great, uh, local reporting, which is dying throughout the country. So I keep reading that. So that I track it through that. And then, uh, Basically, I wake up and watch, I flip around CNN, MSNBC. I won't, Fox, I just, it just makes me psychotic. It's like, no. What'd you think about the uh, the Tucker Carlson getting fired? Was that a, were you, were you happy to see that? Well, yeah, I think it's unbelievable that he's saying stuff. The other thing is, if they didn't do that, that they were, they had to take the word news out of there. He, he couldn't <laughs> call it Fox News. I mean, it's it's appalling. They call it, and it's and MSNBC is not news. They're you know they're you're basically they're the the bullhorns from either side, and it's but Fox really does have a tendency to just make shit up. And you wish to God both sides would just 
kind of be critical of, of, of and, and kind of be more in tune with the folks they're talking to and try to really speak to them. Do you have any any theories about uh, about why Tucker Carlson finally got fired? Uh, there's a lot of different theories floating around. Do you think what do you think finally did it? Uh, he's an asshole. <laughs> That's it. Simple as that. It's that simple. The, he's just an asshole. I mean, I can't come up with anything. I, I certainly am not. I, I, then it means I've got to kind of go to a paranoid place in my head, and it, my, <laughs> that paranoid place is already covered with it. There's a lot of stuff in there. <laughs> a lot Remember, to be paranoid about. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> I've already got my own stuff. I'm not bringing Tucker into that room. Uh, <laughs> no, but he really is. He's an asshole. He used to be, but years ago, the thing that always drew all of this, when he was on CNN and before uh, that show uh, where they would just have their little fights. Yeah, Crossfire. Crossfire, yeah, that that show. Uh, I Before even that show, when he was on CNN and, uh, or doing some stuff for them, he, I, I met him backstage. I was going on something, and, uh, and he was a big fan. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> he fawned all over you? Yeah, you know, and then you just start to really go through, you know, what mistakes you were making. Yeah. If he's, that, if this guy's a fan of mine, what am I doing yeah, wrong? What, yeah. what am I doing wrong? You know, and really where have I, <laughs> what's, what's happened to me? Um, what do you think? Do you have a, a, a yeah. I don't know. It's, it, there, there's all these, you know, there's this theories that he just became too offensive for Fox news, but I just still find that so hard to believe that after everything he said on TV, all of a sudden, I mean, I guess it's after the settlement with Dominion, but the idea that all of a sudden they would have a, you know, morals or, or feelings about why he should leave, you know, based on his personality or being an asshole, as you said, just, I find that hard to believe that there must be more to it than that. Yeah. I, I there probably, there probably is, but it also is, you know, there are more suits coming. So there's that group in California that I think had one voting machine. Yeah. One, yeah. The one vote in LA County. Yeah. One voting machine and they sued him. And, uh, and I'm just wondering if, uh, so all of that paperwork is out there that just exposes them. But I'm wondering if they kind of go, yeah, but look, we got rid of Tucker. I would throw themselves on the mercy of the court. <laughs> so going back to your, your special, um, you get emotional near the end. And as I said, we sort of see a different side of you in talking about your relationship with the audience. And, and that's really where the title of the special comes from. You call them your your primary relationship. <laughs> what what does that mean to you, the, your, that relationship with the audience? I mean, it's huge. I didn't realize how huge it was. I mean, I was sitting at home and I'm going, this is what it's like when you get a separation. You know, you, let's, we're going to have a trial separation. Um, and you kind of are separated from the, the partner you've had for 25, 30 years, really. And I'm like, oh, man, it really rocked me. And I, I kind of saw it in that fashion because that was the way I worked things out. And it's still... I'm just getting back to to that that comfort zone of being out there and and being able to uh, kind of search on stage for wh what it is that I'm thinking because they really do help me find what I'm thinking as much as they help me find the laugh because I'll say something like oh god the fucking idiot because I can tell from the you the nice thing about an audience is it's an immediate reaction whether you hear the reaction or not but you can tell you can feel them pull away from time to time, and you kind of go, okay, all right, yep, okay, I can see this is going to work. I mean, and I will say on stage, you know, I've kind of, I went over, I stepped over the line here, okay, well, we, you won't be hearing, or I'll say a joke that I 
that I will for the first time and it works and it comes out of nowhere because I'm not really conscious it, it'll be like two thirds of the way through the act I didn't sit and write it down and I find the joke and never really laugh and I go you know boy that's great I'll be able to thanks for helping me <laughs> you know do yeah. that or if it doesn't work I go that's I tried that twice I'll tell them what cities it died in I never should have brought it up it's that kind of dropping the uh that fourth wall I've always so I've always had a for some reason, I've always been very comfortable in front of an audience. I was always comfortable in front of an audience that I had to make laugh took a while. You're, I believe, turning 75 this August. Is that right? Yeah. Do you think about your legacy and in, in your place in the comedy world now that you, you know, you really are an, an elder statesman now? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's really funny. I don't know if it matters anymore. What's interesting is uh, I don't really think about it. I, I do think I thought about about it in part when I got more successful than I ever expected. Like I had success. And so I find myself at this point wondering if I've stayed too long at the fair, kind of, you know, if this is time to wrap it up, because unless, you know, I, I stick with it as long as I can learn from it. I can learn from the craft. And uh, there's certain things that I did, I mean, that really I feel, you know, that were something that I wanted to leave behind. My writing, there's three books. Those to me are as important as the comedy that I did. And legacy is important because I've always felt the need to leave a legacy because I don't have children. So I wanted to leave something behind that here's what I, if I had children, here's what I would pass on to them. The way I watch things happening, I'll watch it. My legacy will drift away just like everybody else's legacy drifts away. There are people who don't know, you know, I'm stunned to find, you know, that there are people who love comedy and don't know, you know, younger people who don't know who George Carlin is. And you go, wow. Ooh. And so I'm more interested in the legacy being, I, I helped um, with the National Comedy Center. It's been huge in terms of, to me, that, it, you know, that's what I found important. That's, you know, that there'd be a little tiny place that I'd be there, and um, which is, but also that there they really are maintaining the, uh, establishing the, the kind of the history of comedy. Can you imagine, uh, you know, walking away from, from stand-up, actually retiring? Yeah, I can. I, partly because, uh, you know, to be honest, my feeling is, is that the, uh, you know, I can see the audiences. I'm not getting the audience that I was getting before. You don't want to be that guy who shows up and there's 100 people in a 2,000-seater, you know. You know, I keep getting booked, and it's since the pandemic, the numbers are getting better. But, you know, I just kind of had that feeling that partly it's that. It's that sense that I'm being told, you know, when you, you know, that this is your time. And because I am, there's, I'm, I look around, there are very few people my age wandering around doing this. And I don't want to be, I ran into, um... God love him. Uh, really, come on, Lewis. Jesus. <laughs> this is appalling. Don Rickles. Uh, this my shrink yesterday told me everybody's having trouble with names, so I'm going to go with that. I ran into Don Rickles 10 years ago, 15, in, on a plane. We got out in Detroit or Grand Rapids, one or the other. And then he, and he had been, uh, it was, must have been Detroit, bigger. He was sitting in front of us, my opening act and I. And he had turned around and was baiting me. Through the whole, giving <laughs> endless amounts of shit, which is spectacular. That to me is one of the great moments, you know, when you, when Don Rickles tells you that you're a complete idiot. <laughs> they called me. They wanted it. They were doing his uh, documentary about his life, and I wasn't able to do it. And they'd called me about it, so I said, you know, I apologize for, uh, 
you know, not being able to do that. I'm, and he just, before I even finished, he went, oh, really, you're apologizing. You think, you think I was waiting at home? <laughs> going, when is Lewis going to do his interview? Do you think that's what I could give a shit about what you have to say about me, you idiot? I mean, he was just, he just went on and on and on. And it didn't, and then it's just on things that, you know, it must be tough. He told my opening act, it must be tough to work, work with a Jew like him because, you know, he's constantly eating uh, his food with his hands. I mean, just <laughs> stuff. But it was just, people go, wow, what a terrible thing to say. Well, if he's four feet away, it's fucking funny, you idiots. It wouldn't be funny if it were true, okay? That's the other thing. If I was eating it with my hands. <laughs> and I saw him at the age of 83, 84, 85, 86, he must have been. And he was heading up, uh, getting in another plane to go up further north to a casino in like Ypsilanti or something. And I was like, and I turned to uh, my John, my opening act, and went, you know, I can't do that. I won't, I, I won't do that. I said, you know, and if I'm doing it, I want you to shoot me. <laughs> just kill me because and I can't I will return and get up in front of people and do it from time to time but there's going to come a cutoff and it's coming soon and it may be one more if, if the pandemic hadn't happened there were uh, uh, I probably would have been uh, I've done two more specials and been uh, really winding down at this point but you feel like you have at least one more in you yeah I do. I do. Uh, I've got one more, and uh, and if I have two more, great. This one came so quickly, and that. Uh, so if I do that, I've got. What I'd like to do is just you know enjoy my fucking self. Well, I feel like this uh, this Daily Show uh, thing will be a really great full circle moment for you as well, and um, you know it will be just having been there for so long, and I can't wait to see what you do there and and what you do next. And it's always a, a really a pleasure talking with you. So, Lewis, thank you so much for doing this. Oh no, thank you. It's a joy to talk to you too. It's uh, I go oh it's, it's an intelligent conversation. So <laughs> I appreciate it. it. Means a lot coming from you. Well, thank you because it means a lot coming from you, and uh, it was a pleasure to see you again. And uh, hopefully, it'll be uh, it'll be a good run on. The Daily Show. Thank you so much. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thank you. I really do. It, may, it means a lot. And keep up the good work and um, see you down the road at the next one. Well, I have to say that was really special. And I'm so grateful to Lewis Black for coming back on the podcast. And I, for one, am hoping he doesn't retire too soon. You can stream his latest stand-up special, Tragically I Need You, for free on YouTube right now, and we'll put a link to it in the description for this episode as well. And look out for his week as guest host of The Daily Show starting June 20th. If you want to support The Last Laugh, please help us out by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We want as many people to hear this show as possible, and you can help by spreading the word and sharing it with your friends. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at TheDailyBeast.com. And if you're not already, please follow at LastLaughPod on Instagram, where you can see photos and videos from all of our episodes and see who is coming up next week on the show. The Last Laugh is distributed by Acast for The Daily Beast, with audio production by Jesse Cannon. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at Claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.